welcome to the Yak Sports Podcast with Joe Deck and Leela McRae. Joe, the only thing everybody's talking about in our area seems to be high school football, especially Riverheads, you know, looking like they might be able to win their seventh straight state championship, something that you predicted three years ago, I think is when you started with your Riverheads will never lose again in class one talk. But this one was a little tougher for them. This Essex game was the closest they've had since that state final against Galax back in like 18 um, for in the playoffs. I know they had a close draft game in there too. But uh, Essex defense came to play, and they and they did hold Riverheads back. But kind of like I was saying in the pregame, a whole lot that you know you need that balanced attack to beat Riverheads. You gotta you gotta come back with some offense. You can't just hold them down. You're gonna have to score more than them, and that's what Essex wasn't able to do. Riverheads defense holds them down, and uh, they only score the eight points. Riverheads wins twenty one to eight. Um, but I will give credit to Essex that that their defense. You know, we keep saying they didn't play anybody and this and that. They made Riverheads uncomfortable in a lot of different spots in that game. They did. Um, and, and we we talked about it. I mean, there was a lot of – there were some Riverheads mistakes in that game that were very uncharacteristic. They turned the ball over a little more than we're used to seeing. Um, and then they put themselves in some bad situations. Um, that there were a couple plays where they tried to pass the ball, and they just couldn't. Essex yeah. defensive line was yeah. very disciplined on the play action, which I thought was very impressive. Um, yeah. And, and I did come away impressed with the defense. The problem was the offense just couldn't put it together. I mean, they had no. that one drive. They they got the early lead, scored on their first drive of the game, looked good. But then it was just, you know, turnovers, uh, penalties, backing themselves up, and, and uh, turnovers more than anything. I mean, five turnovers in the ballgame, um, odd yeah. coaching decisions um, that really hurt them in, in that ball game, And... For me, I came away kind of surprised at just the number of mistakes they made and still able to keep the game close, which I do think is a huge credit to their defense. Um, But five turnovers, you aren't going to win very many games, and that cost them. I mean, five turnovers. And then, of course, you know, one of the turnovers happens at the end of the first half where I'm glad that the wide receiver, Cam Robinson, was able to come back in and play and wasn't seriously hurt, but it looked like he might have been dinged up right there at the end of the half because from their own 35-yard line, they're calling a timeout to try to throw one last play from the, you know, with six seconds left, and of course, it gets intercepted, and they're lucky that Riverheads didn't house that, and the kid gets, Cam Robinson gets cleaned up in a block uh, on that play, and you're just like, man, that is a really, and and I know people are saying, well, it's easy to play 2020. As soon as they called timeout, I said, yeah, this is no, a bad we, idea. We it this yeah. is a bad idea. Take your six-point deficit yeah. into the locker room, come out ready to go in the second half. And to their credit, they did come out ready in the second half, drove all the way down the field, and then it was another turnover. And you're just like, all right, well, yeah. done. You're done here. And and they just they never really once Riverheads went up that second score, you were never really worried about Essex coming back yeah. and winning that game. And, and that's what I was kind of saying. Even when Riverheads was down eight to seven for a, a period of time, I really didn't feel that that pressure, that worry. I I my anxiety grew. I don't I'm not gonna say worry, but my anxiety grew when like Riverheads just couldn't get that second touchdown for a little bit. It was just a little bit where it was just like Essex is hanging around. They're very athletic. I don't want them hanging. Around. They're capable of scoring on any play. We saw them do that a year ago. 
you know, that's what I, that's what I had my anxiety a little higher about. I never got really worried because it just, it did feel like Riverheads was the better team on both sides of the ball. You know, it just felt like they were the better team and you thought that would prevail, but you know, it's high school football and you're dealing with 17 year olds. Uh, a couple of things that surprised me. The first, uh, on Essex side, um, I was, I don't know. I, I don't know about surprise, but they were held to 127 total offensive yards. And that was 37 rushing, which that's the number I say wasn't good enough. Passing was only 87, even though it felt like it had more of an impact than that. They, they seemed solely focused on Cam Robinson. And I'm not saying that he's some kind of trash player and doesn't deserve some attention. You know, he's, he's their best receiver. Sure. You're going to throw him the football, but their season stats did not indicate that they were just solely focused on Cam Robinson. They had a plenty of stats for Allen and, and uh, guys coming out of the backfield like Dorian Harris and all that. And then it just seemed like all their passing plays just relied on going to Cam Robinson on this Saturday. And so I was surprised of their approach there. And I think that kind of played into them, you know, kind of being not as dimensional as they needed to be to beat Riverheads. Yeah. I thought they were pretty reliant on Cam Robinson too. And, their you know, season stats didn't show that, they, like, that was definitely what was coming. It seemed mm-hmm. like they had spread the ball out a good bit. I, I Even on message boards after the game, I, I heard some of their fans kind of questioning that. So, and I know that's who scores the touchdown, scores the two-point conversion for them, and I, I get that that's the target you want to go to, but it seemed like Riverheads, after that, kind of made it a point that he wasn't going to be the one that beat them. In the second half, they went to Dorian Harris a little bit more. I thought the offense was actually moving very well. Better than and and they did turn the ball over a little bit. Yes, fumbles and stuff. But you know, we're speaking of questionable coaching decisions. That was another one near the end of the game where Dorian Harris is broken. He he had to be helped off the field by players oh, yeah. and coaches because he couldn't stand up straight. Like his he was. Folks, I don't know how to accurately describe this other than, like, he was crumpled. They were holding him up. He wasn't standing, and they were dragging him off, being held up. And then we see him, like, after a timeout, hobbling onto the field. And I'm like, is no one else seeing this? Like, I just – that made me uncomfortable. I didn't like it. And I know Dorian Harris is probably telling his coaches, I want to play. I want to play. That's fine. I I understand that to a certain extent, but – at a certain point, that's why you're a high school coach and you're the adult in the room. You have to be able to tell the kid, look, I know you want to be out there. I know you want to help us win this game, but it's not worth your long-term health. Like, right. it is just a game. And gosh, that made me uncomfortable to see. And um, he came in. Luckily, nobody on Riverheads came through and blitzed on that play and blew him up when he's trying to block in the backfield because that was the only thing he could do was stand there. Um, yeah. But it was just, it was the second decision they made that I thought put kids in an unnecessary risk, and I didn't yeah. like seeing that. Another thing that surprised me, and this is on the Riverhead side, and, and you know, it's sometimes hard to find things to be critical about in that direction, but I was surprised with some of the decisions to punt at midfield. Now, I, I understand if your plan is to punt it down inside the 10-yard line, make Essex go the whole field, I'm, I like that idea. But the execution of either that plan or the lack of that plan, it surprised me. What Two of those punts, I'll say, surprised me. One of them, for sure. The second one, that got returned back to midfield. And, of course, you can say this, well, they returned it, and that's why you second-guess it. I don't know. Even in the moment, I, I kind of was 
you know, on air, like, uh, you know, I wonder if they go for it here. Um, the one was a fourth and 11, we, though. Like, that's not a high I mean, percentage of conversion. I, I, I just wouldn't I, have I punted say, it to him. I, I would have punted it out of bounds. My, yeah, I would definitely do that. But my grinding to my teeth probably kind of came on third down because it didn't seem like they mm-hmm. play called with that intent of, we have two downs to get this first down. It seemed like we got to get 11 yards here on third down, didn't get it. So then now we have to punt. So that's, that's what kind of surprised me uh, just from thinking of the past and a lot of successful games where Riverhead just puts people away. It comes with some of those fourth downs at, at midfield. And uh, so I was surprised with that. I'm not saying uh, a full uh, <laughs> contradiction of that, but I just, you know, I wondered about it in the moment. And then especially after you see the result and the, and, they're ex- they're so good on special teams. Essex was so I I just would have made sure they didn't have that opportunity. I I think in my mind that that would be not punt at all. Now if you are going to punt, like you said, get that thing out of bounds, get that thing rolling around on the ground, anything, but letting Cam just return that thing. Um, but yeah, they win though, and I we said it. I think last week on the podcast we said it on air on Saturday. I think Riverheads has seen their toughest opponent already. I don't think George With is going to be tougher than what Essex was. Yeah, and and we should say this in case you're curious. There are two George With high schools. This is the George With and Withful. Um, and Down it's 81, the 77 area, yep. Yep, not the one over in Richmond. So they will play the George With Maroons, um, who came out and uh, got a win last week against Grundy, which was a rematch uh, from earlier in the season that they were able to win. And uh, they're gonna they're gonna be hungry. They've had a bit of a Cinderella run. Um, they beat a good Galax team. They beat a good Grundy team. And now they're gonna play a great Riverheads team. Yeah, they beat Galax in the regular season, so that's kind of what I think woke people up. Right. Uh, Grayson had knocked Galax off, I believe, in the playoffs. Uh, but here, yeah, they they've made a good solid playoff run here, and you know. I think they're solid. You know, I think for class for region three C, I think they're solid and they're and they're playing the best football out of those teams. They've proven that here in the playoffs. It's just what have we seen Riverheads do to these class three C teams or what uh one, one region one C and and whoever comes out of C or D. Uh, Riverheads just has been smashing them year after year. And I think there was one close Galax game, and that's it. All those Chilawi butt whoopings and that was region d yeah region d is yeah like and then i then all these the stinkers. four the last four have been galax so i just yeah. I, it's just hard to see how this this george with team is outside of that mold it seems like they fit within that mold pretty well i think for our local fans from the little bit of film that i watched I know they're wearing maroon, so it's probably easy to say this, but man, they look a lot like Stewart's draft. The way they line up and what their quarterback's trying to do, there's just a lot of similarity to what Stewart's draft does. I would also say I think Stewart's draft generally does it better. Uh, this year, Stewart's draft's offense wasn't quite what it was. Even maybe what I was seeing might have might have still been better than what I saw from this week from George With. So I I don't know. I just see I feel like Riverheads is going to have a lot of confidence going to this game, watching that film and being like, oh, we've seen this plenty before, and that's just how we stop it. Let's go do it. I, that's that's how I see this going. Well, I I think people know how I feel about it. I I've, I've said Riverheads wasn't going to be tested too much. This Essex game was a little bit more of a test than I expected, but they they yeah. weathered that. And as we've said. And you touched on just a moment ago. That's the best team they're going to see. Um, this George with game won't be that. But I think it's time to bring in someone smarter than both of us. We have Matt Hatfield with us. 
Matt, thanks for joining us again. Um, we always love having you on because you make us smarter and our audience smarter. Uh, we're going to talk state championships. It's finally that time of the year. It's state championship Saturday, next Saturday. And uh, let's just start from the bottom up. Let's start with the one that matters to our audience the most in class one. No surprise to see Riverheads back here. George with though is a bit of a surprise. The Maroons have been on a hot streak. Uh, what's your take on this game? You know, George with has been a surprise guys. I'm going to be with you again. Um, ordinarily it's, it's the Riverheads Galax matchup. And this is a team that is familiar with Galax and George with, they play them in that mountain empire. So it's not a team that's totally foreign and they've had some runs in years past. In fact, if you look at the symmetry, I think our report yeah. Robertson put this up. They went won a state championship in 2002, uh-huh. 2012. If you believe in those type of things, do. it's later to be 2022. Um, but I just think it's going to be really hard for them to win this game. They've been pretty balanced looking back at their numbers and how they performed in the state semis against Grundy, who just runs the ball. Uh, and it's got run in its name. So there you go with Grundy. Ian Scammell had 2,000-plus yards. He was fantastic all year long. And they actually avenged a regular season loss to Grundy. A couple of key players were out in that game uh, when with fell to them during regular season. But I, I just feel like this is it's hard for anybody to beat Riverheads. The team that was best equipped was Essex with those two dynamic playmakers and Dorian Harris, the running back, and Cam Robinson, the two-way uh, playmaker who's a UVA commit. And, uh, you know, Riverheads' defense, I, I'll say this. One of the things that stuck out to me was I spoke with Will Thomas, the head coach at Central Lunenburg, and he told me, you know, they know they have triple C, and everybody knows about Caden Cook Cash, but maybe the most underappreciated thing about this Riverheads team is just how solid their defense is. It's not a, you know, knock your socks off, unbelievable. They got a bunch of prospects type defense, but it's just a well-knit group. It's hard to sustain drives and score them. So I can see if with moves the ball, it's a matter of can you get those finishing plays on third down, fourth down. To me, if anybody was going to beat them, it was going to be someone that had that caliber of athlete difference maker, like an Essex with Robinson or Harris, or like we saw a year ago in class two with the King William having a DeMond Claiborne. And if you don't have that guy, and, and with has some solid parts, but they don't have that one guy that takes your breath away, it's hard to envision them winning this game. Because even though they've played pretty well on defense lately, their four or five games prior to the win over Grundy, they've given up 20-plus. So it's not like they have a shutdown defense that's going to keep the score low and keep them in it for four quarters to go with, you know, that offense exploding. So I feel like this is – it's unless Riverheads makes a rash of mistakes and they put themselves in a bunch of third and longs, I don't see this game being tight come fourth quarter. I just don't. Talk, talk about your thoughts on this record that Riverheads, you know, has at six now, the old record being four, left everybody behind at four – now going to seven. I, you know, I feel like we beat our listeners over the head and our listeners probably, I mean, they know how good Riverheads is and they just, you know, nod their heads at it. But, you know, from the state perspective and, and the, and the role that you have in, in covering everything in the state, I'm, I mean, try to put that in perspective a little bit of what this seven, potentially seven straight state championships, six as it is, I mean, how big a deal that is. I think it's a gigantic deal, and I don't think it's a big enough deal uh, statewide and even nationally to an extent, Leland, because when we've seen teams go on similar runs of dominance, their higher classification schools, granted, like your Oscar Smith or your Phoebus or your Highland Springs or Appomattox to an extent who's a little bit bigger school at class two, they have a bevy of division one prospects. And the and to me, unless I'm completely wrong, you can correct me if I am, the only guy that's even close on that radar screen is Caden Cook Cash who in some respects is probably not recognized. There's a lot of good running backs at the class two, class one level that get 
I just mentioned the kid at Grundy, Scammell. I mean, what he's done in terms of numbers, raw numbers in the VHSL leaderboard and yardage and so forth is remarkable and probably not appreciated enough. And what King Cook Cash has done is very, very good, but they just reload year after year. So they've had about five, six, seven different backs in this run. It's just not him. You know, you lose four or five seniors in the trenches. They reload, they don't rebuild. And then the bigger thing is a little bit reminiscent of Phoebus. Now, when Phoebus had the coaching change, from the late great Bill Vita and Sexton, that's when everybody anticipated the fall off to occur, 2008 and 2009. And Phoebus kept winning these close games, 2009, 2010, 2011, against Lake Taylor, in fact, on a couple of those. And then Lake Taylor beat the door down and, and thumped them at Harvard Park, 54 to nothing in 2012. Well, Riverheads has the, we think he's leaving Robert Casto coach. He comes back, legendary sideline boss. And then he does retire. Now Ray Norcross, longtime assistant, D coordinator. He's been there since I think the school, you know, opened essentially. And they haven't missed a beat. And more than that, they haven't missed a beat. And they've won by decisive margins. The one loss to Botetot aside. And they actually beat Botetot during this run of dominance where they had that win streak that matched Phoebus. So in some respects, it might be more impressive, even though there hasn't been that big-time challenger. We thought Essex or Galax might be it. I think it would probably be appreciated more if we had a team that you said, all right, we really believe they're beating them. And I'll be honest with you, I thought this year Essex had a great opportunity to do so. They've been putting up mega numbers, and Riverheads just did what they did, and people just can't stop it at that level. So as they transition upwards, that'll be the really interesting thing to see is can this translate to a higher classification, even though they're putting the bookend, I think, on class one with legendary stuff. Going up to the classification where Riverheads is headed next year, Central Woodstock right up the road from our listening audience. Everybody's real excited about their opportunity that they kind of got over that hump where they just couldn't kind of advance into the state playoffs. And, and now here they are in the state championship game and they're taking on Graham, the team that lost the state championship last year. How do you see this one going? Well, I mentioned some great backs, Leland, uh, like Caden Cook Cash, Triple C at Riverheads, who your audience is quite familiar with, and Ian Scammell from Grundy, DeMond Claiborne last year at King William. Get to know this running back at Graham High School, Ty Dress Clements. He's a junior. Uh, we just caught up with him and put up a uh, video piece on Virginia Preps, and he's had just a fantastic postseason uh, at Graham High School this year. And uh, a seven-touchdown game, over 400 yards rushing in the regional championship against Ridgeview, who had not given up a point in its two previous regional playoff games. And he took down an Appomattox team. I shouldn't say he did it by himself, but he and his teammates took down an Appomattox team with Jonathan Pennix, a Virginia Tech commit, to Vorian Copeland, who's also going to the Hokies. I like what Tony Palmer's done because some people felt when they graduated their big stud, you know, left tackle in Brody Meadows, along with Xavion Turner Bradshaw, Ken Ahmad Bradshaw, who played in the NFL, that this would be a year where they took a, a mild step back. Here they are, beginning of the year, class two seems to be wide open with some usual suspects like Appomattox and Graham, even Ridgeview on the come up as a relatively new school. And here they are undefeated. They won that first game against Bluefield, who they don't like very much. And they don't and uh, Bluefield doesn't like them. It's a it's a you know bordering rivalry, if you will, West Virginia and uh, Virginia. And though the Graham defense bends a little bit, it doesn't break. In Central Woodstock's case, they have been two regular season losses to Strasburg and Larray did so very uh, impressively in the a regional championship game. And what I would wonder about for them here is do they have enough defensive personnel to, to handle Clements? And then the ability Graham has to balance it out with some pretty good passing and efficient throws uh, with Braden Meadows, the quarterback. Uh, so I, I feel like Graham is going to take care of business in this one. They got to keep the score out of the upper 30s and into the 40s because I'm not sure Woodstock has enough firepower 
to keep up if it gets to that point of a ball game. Even though I like what they've done with their QB and Nick Barahona, who's a 10th grader, and Tyler Forbes running the ball, they've got a pretty balanced receiving core uh, that's done some good things for them. About four or five players with double-digit catches, and their defense has a really, really rock-solid uh, junior defensive lineman who's uh, made a name for himself in Nathan Lopez. Back-to-back -back years, he's been player of the year uh, in that region. So Woodstock's a deserving team to get to this point. Uh, they've been building really well. I just feel like Graham's got a little more explosiveness uh, offensively, and I think their defense will not make many mistakes to allow Central Woodstock to have the ball last with a chance to win. So we'll, we'll take this over now to Class 3. Um, we won't put you in a hard spot, but <clears throat> Leland and I have been really impressed with what Heritage has been able to do, especially in the Regency Championship, beating the best team that Virginia, Pennsylvania, North Carolina, Georgia, and wherever else Liberty University wants to get their kids to go to LCA. Uh, was really impressed that Heritage was able to beat that team. And then they pound a very good Christiansburg team. And now they're going to yeah. play maybe even a team better than both of those teams in Phoebus. Do you think Heritage has what it takes to, to slay three giants on the way to a state championship? I think they do with this caveat. A lot's going to hinge on the health, effectiveness, availability of the quarterback for Phoebus. Nolan James, a transfer from Nans Whenever High School to Phoebus. And by the way, I mentioned the transfer. That's a, that's the big obvious elephant in the room there. Uh, Brad Bradley, I love him to death. That guy, he, he does not mince words. He says what's on his mind. And his kids, a lot of players in sports, you know those guys from covering various sports, they take on the personality and image of their coach. And this Heritage team has done that. They're physical. They're no-nonsense. They're aggressive. Their quarterback, he told me before the year, uh, Jesse Bateman, he told me he was going to be really, really good, and I think he's been a breakout performer this year. They have the ability to mix it up with different backs. Rajon Booker, uh, Rajon Booker Felder has been great, and their defense has some players that are a little bit reminiscent of a couple years ago, a few years back when they won the state championship. I mean, I look at Terrell Washington on defense. He's just a linchpin to them. Uh, I feel like they have that confidence of playing in the Seminole District. If you play very, very – quality competition with LCA and Brookville and EC Glass who made it to the state semifinals. Phoebus comes from the rich tradition of the Peninsula District, but Hampton's no longer what Hampton was. They didn't get tested to a close game in the PD, and their closest battle has been Lake Taylor, which was 42-16 to 16 in a game that they were down early, had a eight-point lead it was at halftime, 14-6, and pulled away. Now, the question's going to be, even if Nolan James doesn't play or is less than 100%, can they handle, A, a Phoebus defense that's basically given up two touchdowns all year? With I mean, that, their defense has been lights out at all three levels. Anthony Reddick, Michael McMullen up front are, are fantastic. Uh, McMullen's going to JMU as a defensive tackle. He's been a four-year starter. And then, you know, the linebackers are solid. Got a 10th grader leading them in Caleb Tillery. The defensive backfield's got ball hawks. Jordan Bass, who's a pick commit, and he's got 25 touchdown catches on the year, I think it is. Uh, he had four against Oscar Smith in a just – shellacking of the Tigers to close that regular season to snap their win streak. Um, so I worry about that a little bit. If Heritage, they, they can't turn the ball, ball over. They've got to be able to finish some of those drives. They want to win this game in a similar way that they had their LCA game play out, kind of lower scoring. But in the end, I think Phoebus just has too much firepower. And there's that little bit sticking in the crawl, though those players weren't on that team from a few years back. They've heard about it from the coaches all week. We're not going to lose to this program. They, they denied us a state championship. So there's a pride factor that goes into it for Phoebus. 
I'd give them the nod. I don't think it's a total beatdown, and I do think Heritage can stay in the game because their history has shown outside of the one game with Dinwiddie early in the season, they're a different team now, that they can play with people at that caliber. So I can see Phoebus keep winning this by a couple of scores, but I don't think it's a demolition by any means. Let's jump it over there to Class 4. You just spoke about Dinwiddie. They're in the state championship game there in Class 4. I, I'll be honest, Class 4 is probably the one I'm just the least familiar with this year because uh, I, I think I just know more about 5 and 6 than I do here in Class 4. But Kettle Run, I, I who, <laughs> Dinwiddie, Kettle Run, I really just have no idea who's going to win this one. Well, I would give the nod to Dinwiddie, but I will tell you this. Talk about underappreciated players. There's a young man, and it's funny. I had one of our rivals analysts reach out to us during the year about this kid. Didn't know much about him. Jordan Tapscott of Kettle Run. Fellas, he's got 90 receptions for 1,653 yards and 80 touchdowns. He had 90 catches. <laughs> oh, by the way, his four catches for 26 yards against EC Glass was probably his worst game of the season. Because he's literally had 100-plus yards receiving I believe it's nine or 10 games this year, and he's had four catches or more in every game except the second game of the year when he had three catches that went for 144 yards, all for touchdowns when they beat Meridian by a running clock margin. And I think Kettle Run, they play a very neat offense. It's up-tempo. They get, they get out of their blocks quick. Uh, they've had some other record setters in Abram Chumley at quarterback and Colton Quaker, a 10th grader who is a running back and broke the record of another Tapscott that played way back, uh, Josh Tapscott, I shouldn't say way back, but previously. Um, I don't know about Kettle Run's defense in this spot. Dinwoody plays at a great tempo. Until this recent 28-0 shutout of Warwick in the Mud Bowl, they had not scored less than 41 in any game. Their quarterback, Harry Dalton, who's a sophomore, was a running back, now a quarterback. I think the Kettle Run defense is going to have a hard time keeping him in the pocket. Um, outside of Peyton McCaffrey, I don't know who's going to make a bunch of tackles for them on first and second downs. And I think Dimity, if they get to third down, it's going to be third and short. So this has the makings to be a track meet, like a 48-35 type of game. But that just favors Dinwiddie. And Billy Mills, is he's been here before. Kettle Run, this is kind of a new stage for them. They surprised a lot of people, myself, including uh, included beating EC Glass. Uh, I, I saw Dimity early in the season in the scrimmage against Oscar Smith and Green Run, two very, very potent teams from Tidewater. And one thing that stuck out to me, guys, was their receivers make plays after the catch. And I would wonder about Kettle Run's tackling in the spot. Tapscott might have a big game, but it's going to be up to the Kettle Run defense to stand tall to win this because I don't see Dimwitty stopping themselves. And uh, offensively, they have enough explosiveness to win this. So I give Dimwitty the nod here. I'd be pretty surprised if they didn't come out on top. Well, I mean, Leland and I, we're surprised they beat EC Glass. So Kettle Run's already done better than we thought. <laughs> we thought yeah. EC they, Glass. They've definitely exceeded expectations for sure this year. They've had a fantastic year. And I like what Coach Charlie Porterfield's done there. They're heading in the right direction. They're building and turning upward. So Class 5, the Highland Springs Springers back in a state championship. Uh, they defeated the defending champion, Stonebridge, last week in a thrilling game there. Um, and they'll get Maury, a team that was in the state championship last year. Yeah, you got two of the very best coaches in all of Virginia with uh, Lauren Johnson, former Virginia Tech standout, trying to get his fifth state title. They had that four repeat a few years back. And Doreen McCain, who uh, has won a state championship, beat Stonebridge a few years ago, lost in the last play to Stonebridge in Old Dominion. They've been motivated to get back to this point and, and redeem themselves. I love their chances that they were healthier, guys. I don't know what the status is going to be of Peyton Jones, the running back, who's committed to Duke for the Commodores who puts up more than 10 yards of carry, catches the ball out of the backfield exceedingly well, and he hurt his ankle in that 21-14 win over Green Run in the state semis. 
I do know they're without their linebacker, Nathaniel Booganox, who got hurt uh, before the season. And then their sophomore, who just got some offers from Virginia Tech and Duke, Kendall Daniels, had a couple of picks. He runs the ball, he catches the ball, he throws the ball, jack of all trades. He might not be 100%. I'm not sure about his availability. So Maury at full strength was already going to have their hands full. Not at full strength. I, I, you got to be more than full strength to beat Holland Springs. The way they're playing with their quarterback and Christian Martin, their defense is just fantastic. Uh, they've only given up more than 10 points twice this year. One of those came to Stonebridge last week, which they scored 14 points in the fourth quarter after being behind 19-0. The other one was to an out-of-state opponent in the first game of the year in Julius Chambers, who they held off at the end to beat after losing to him last year. I think the Springers' defense is going to be the story here. I think they can make Maury relatively one-dimensional or less dynamic than they've been. And uh, it's going to be the Johnson and Johnson show. Not to give them a free plug here, but Coach Lauren Johnson's two sons, Braylon Johnson, is a senior going to Virginia Tech, coming off a two INT performance, and the sophomore linebacker, Vernon Johnson, who I think is as good a linebacker as there is in the state, regardless of classification. I could see him having 12, 15 tackles in this game. I think those will be kind of the headliners to go with their dad as they try to give the Springers and Springer Nation their fifth crown. All right, so the biggest classification in Class 6, James Madison. Uh, they got beat in the state championship last year. This year they take on the Freedom Eagles because Oscar Smith's uh, nowhere to be found in the state championship game, which feels odd. Uh, who, what are we looking like in Class 6? Well, I got to give – talk about nobody expecting Kettle Run to be here, and I'll put my hand up. I didn't expect James Madison to be here. I took some flack for leaving him out of our top 10 to begin the year. Then I looked like I was vindicated because they began 0-3. And they graduated 28 seniors was my reason. And at the beginning of the year, they were on a top 10 team. They lost to Stonebridge by one, Lake Braddock by three, and Yorktown by three. Since then, they've reeled off 11 straight wins, beating Centerville, who's got a 2,000-yard back going to Villanova and Isaiah Raglan, and beating Fairfax 31-21. And they got a four-star going to Penn State and Tony Rojas, who lost his final game in front of his future coach, James Franklin. They do what they do well at Madison. It's almost like a bigger version of Riverheads to this extent. They run the ball. They tackle. They play sound, fundamentally good football. They defend. The problem is they're playing a machine in freedom, which has athlete after athlete after athlete, speed, speed, speed. Their quarterback, Tristan Evans, set the record for touchdown passes in a season. And if you talk to some coaches in the Woodbridge area, they'll tell you, believe this or not, he's the weak link to their offense. Well, not really, because they got over <laughs> 900 points this year, and they set a record with that. They just got playmaker after playmaker, whether it's Jeffrey Overton uh, Jr., who's the sophomore running back, Elijah Reed. Uh, Cam Courtney, Kendall Bannister is going to Ohio. Uh, they're just stacked with athletes. And Freedom's defensive front is better than people realize because the offense is so incredible. T.J. Bush at defensive end going to Coastal Carolina. And some of their better tacklers are juniors and sophomores who fly around in the football. Freedom is just ready for a coronation here. I think Madison's a great story. But once Freedom hits the 28-point mark, which generally happens in the first half, Madison's only scored more than that probably four or five times all year. I can't see Madison keeping up. They're going to have to keep this a low possession clock turning game and get in front early because if they don't, it's going to be freedom off to the races and they're going to name the score. That's how good they are. It's nothing against Madison. They've not had a close game with anybody. They're, they're, I think their closest game was against Stonebridge by three touchdowns and I was there and it wasn't a three touchdown game. So it's hard to envision this team being stopped. Wow. I mean, go Bobcats. Love that. Um, but <laughs> Let me ask you, the portal has been crazy today, um, and there's a lot of recruiting as well, but let's start with the portal. What's one guy that was an in-state player that is now in the portal that you're intrigued to see where they end up? 
Tony Grimes, he was a five-star from Princess Anne High School in Virginia Beach. He was one of the trendsetters or got the ball rolling for North Carolina. Uh, and he was the number one rated corner in the, in the nation. And they've had a couple of players depart from UNC. We've seen a couple of players depart from Virginia Tech, a couple from Old Dominion, a couple from JMU, a couple from everybody. I mean, there's over 700 kids on the portal or in the portal on the first Monday of December 2022. It's a record. I think the previous record was like 240-something in a day. So it's almost quadrupled the record. Um, but when you have a five-star who was the number one player in his position leave, and he was a starter as a freshman at UNC, so it's not from lack of playing time or attention or team success because no matter how bad you think the ACC is, North Carolina just played in yeah. the ACC championship game. So that's one that makes you go, whoa, if he's leaving and he's in the portal, who's not in the portal? I mean, all the ones I think that aren't in the portal are Joe, you, me, and Leland. Everybody else is in right. the portal. <laughs> I, I'm, I've talked to some people though, so. Okay. <laughs> so Leland's gonna oh, be hopping. Be before, like, there's some other podcasts out there. Yeah, yeah there Leland go. can't wait to get out of here. Um, but <laughs> but it's interesting that you mentioned that because he is the number one corner, and you know you just never know with these kids whether it's a fit thing or the a culture thing or a program thing or or an NIL thing. You don't know, and uh, I don't know. I know there's a lot of people that aren't happy with the portal and what it is now, and maybe there should be some rules eventually somewhere down the line. And, I, and I'm not smart enough to know what those rules are, but I, I also kind of sympathize with these kids. I mean, you're asking 17, 18 year olds pick somewhere and then the fan bases want them to stay there for four years. Like that's kind of a, a huge moment for the rest of their careers and lives. No, you're right, Joe. And here's the bottom line. I, I put this out on Twitter about it. This is, this is a big problem. And people are like, Oh, he's one of these old guys. Get off my lawn. Complaining about it. It's not That's the kids' me. fault. Nobody's blaming the kids in this. This is the NCAA. Mm-hmm. They created this monster. None of these t- teenagers or early 20s athletes, they didn't say, you have to give us this. This was given to them. So if we're going to blame it, and coaches leave all the time. Coaches can get up and go look at Deion Sanders just happened. And it's going to happen with other coaches in other schools. This is not the kids' fault. This is at the feet of the NCAA, which – Let's be perfectly honest here. People wonder, have they been alive and the people in charge at the NCAA have been alive because we don't have a czar for certain sports like football and basketball. And this is just another prime example of when you don't have enough rules and regulations, it's the wild, wild west. This is not at the fault feet or the fault of the kids. This is at the NCAA for creating a monster that doesn't have enough policing and control. So I want to ask one question that's not football just to get a word out. We, you know, in this side of the state, we kind of been watching Tyler Nickel for the last couple of years and what could East Rock do without him here. I really don't know the biggest side uh, the biggest storyline on this side of the state. So from your view, from, from where it's warmer than it is here, uh, what, what storylines out of the Valley is, has most got your ear for basketball coming up? Yeah, it's basketball. Well, I think there's one that's going to start to percolate here and it's going to be the spots would make a big yeah. run because they've been close before with coach Chad Edwards They've had some name players. We know about Carmelo Pacheco. We know about Rob Smith a few years back. They've had some some all-state caliber performers. And uh, I think he and his staff, along with assistant Jimmy Miller and company, they've been knocking on that door. And class three is interesting to me because you have Cave Spring, the defending champ, trying to get their third ring in four years. They're very good. I've gotten some feedback. I haven't watched them yet, but I spoke with Billy Pope at Northside, and a college coach told me they looked really, really impressive last week. Uh, I think class three is going to be really, really interesting to see those teams in the middle part of the state, the Valley, the West, with Northside, Cave Spring, and uh, even Spotswood, and then throw in a couple of Richmond schools like Hopewell and Petersburg, that could end up being one of the more compelling 
uh, stretch runs for the playoffs as we move along, because I think for the most part, a lot of the basketball in that area is sort of up for grabs. There's not one dominant team. And I like what Spotswood has in terms of their system and tradition in the program. And they tend to get better each month from January to February into March. So watch out for them. If things break right, they could be back in a state playoff situation. And it's a couple bounces away from maybe playing at the Seagull Center. So just so the audience knows, I'm going to take it back to football for a second, Matt, because Leland was trying to do the good thing of seeing the timer run down on the Zoom and trying to get that basketball question in ahead of time, um, not realizing I was going to reset up the Zoom link before the timer ran out. Uh, so the preview only has 30 minutes or something, right? Yeah. So that's a little behind the scenes for the audience. Um, that's why our questions are going to be out of order. Also, because I'm too lazy to go back and edit it. Um, so that's <laughs> fine. Matt, I wanted to go back because uh, we had asked about the portal, but of the kids still in high school, who is a kid that's uncommitted that you're kind of interested to see where he ends up or maybe because um, I know some of the uncommitted, there's strong leanings, but maybe one who nobody really knows where he's going. Maybe there's one or two schools or something like that. Um, as far as one or two uh, kids that could be leaning in state or out of state school, I, I mean, look, I think you look at Grimes' teammate, uh, Cameron Kelly, he's one that people saw. He had the whole, for lack of a better way of putting it, song and dance. Is he going here? Is he going there? Virginia Tech, Auburn. He's one I think people are going to say, all right, he's the one that could come back home, whether the Commonwealth home being Virginia Tech, Old Dominion. Uh, there's a couple of the players that we look at the connections, and I won't give a specific name here, but they were recruited by either Zon Burden or Chris Beatty. Uh, Chris Beatty is now an assistant coach with the Chargers in the NFL. And Beatty, who's now at Duke, was at Maryland for a time. And I think some of those players that have been at Pittsburgh, Maryland, those places, they might look and say, I want to get back in state. So this is a huge opportunity for UVA and Virginia Tech with what's going on to try to gain some ground and get back to where they're establishing themselves in the Commonwealth. It might not be the way they planned it, getting players to the transfer portal, but ultimately they've got the chance to get themselves some ground made up in the ACC because we're seeing, I don't know that UNC is blowing up, but we're seeing changes at UNC. We're seeing Clemson not perform at the level they've been accustomed to the last couple of years as far as championships go, despite winning the ACC title. And it's a chance to get your footprint back in the Commonwealth, be it the 757, the 804, and some of these pockets that have a lot of talent and some saturated good young talent. So you get some of these players that went to a school, you build those relationships with those coaches because you didn't have those relationships when you got there. If you're Tony Elliott or Brent Pry, you know, now you feel like you've made some progress despite the on-field product not being what you wanted in year one. So – so because of that, right, Tony Elliott and Brent Pry not having what they won in year one in terms of wins and losses, are you seeing more players kind of look toward the Sun Belt? I know ODU had the big opening season win, and then the rest of the season maybe didn't go how they wanted, but still a, a sure. huge opening week win against Virginia Tech. JMU had a lot of success this year on the football field. Are you seeing some of these recruits that UVA and Virginia Tech are targeting choosing JMU and ODU over them, or is it still kind of – who Virginia Tech and UVA want for the most part they get? I don't think they're choosing ODU and Jamie because of the Sun Belt, because not to belittle the Sun Belt, I don't think the Sun Belt has a name that's that catchy, even though early in the year we saw some upsets with Appalachian State. We've seen what Coastal Carolina's done. There's been some surprises in that league, Nebraska going down to a Sun Belt school from the Peach State. But 
you look at ODU and JMU, and ODU's got some players that admit the NFL. Taylor Heineke's leading the Washington Commanders right now. So that's put them in the limelight and spotlight. They had those wins over Virginia Tech that put them in the limelight and spotlight. And JMU getting ranked this year at one point in their first season, making the transition from FCS to FBS. They've got a winning culture and tradition, and they've done it with multiple coaches, whether it was Mickey Matthews winning a championship with him, with Mike Houston, who's now at East Carolina, winning a championship with him. Kurt Signetti's had them deep in the FCS playoffs, and now they're a prevalent factor in the FBS right away, quickly, despite some roster turnover and some positions that were question marks and they've gotten some good in-state pieces. So I feel like kids see the opportunity to go there and it can either get me to the NFL because no longer do you have to go to tech or you get to the NFL, which is a lot of these kids' ultimate dream. Mm -hmm. You have NIL opportunities. Mm -hmm. doesn't matter if you go to the ACC school or you go to the school that's in the Sun Belt. I can get that there. And then C, you can be a part of something that is a winning tradition or go to a bowl and there's a lot of things that appeal now that might not have. And if you're a kid that's from Harrisonburg or Norfolk, you say, I don't need to go six, eight hours away. I can stay home with my family. And I have these opportunities that are presented to me. So I feel like there's some pluses um, that are there. And the biggest thing is going to be as we move forward, what happens with NIL and some of these, you know, regulations that could enable the bigger schools to have a greater advantage against those schools and might entice that player to go there as opposed to staying home. So it's interesting you mentioned that because that's, yeah, kind of like the portal. NIL is the other bit of wild, yeah. wild west that the NCAA has chosen to <laughs> Hitting on every week. Yeah. yeah. The other hands would be like, oh my, who could have guessed this would have happened? <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, since I'm the one that's messing up the production of this show, I'm just going to go ahead and ask the question that I'm really most interested in hearing an answer to. What outside of sports coverage is keeping you entertained lately? When you finally break away from a clock running oh, we know the and answer. something about it, what yeah. What is keeping your interest or, or pulling you away from the sports that you want to watch? Well, main thing is law and order. I mean, that was, that was yeah. a pretty Always. easy break for me. And, and you, got a, you got a big one coming up with SVU. Uh, Amanda Rollins is leaving. <laughs> so if you follow that storyline, it's her last episode on the, the first, uh, first or second Thursday of December. I forget where we are in the calendar. But that, that's big. And then you got the little crossover. Everybody's wanting to see it. There's a little romance with Benson and Stabler here and then that. What's, what's messing me up, though, is all these holiday Dolly Parton specials. And listen, my folks like Dolly Parton. I've There's against only them. one, man. Well, they're doing another one next week, apparently. So it's like, <laughs> you're sandwiching a lot of new episodes of Dolly Parton. And I mean, I got to Parton. She's tremendous. But come on now. Like, so it's taking me away from the new episodes. Plus all my traveling games, I've been disjointed from this season. I'm, I'm watching an episode of the original Law & Order or the Organized Crime episode or, or and I'm catching them four weeks later. So, I, I, you know, it's, it kind of goes, especially with the organized crime one, in chronological order. So if you get out of whack there, you're all screwed up. So maybe on one of these long bus trips, and I've got plenty of them coming, I can watch it back in, you know, it's right order to get myself on track mentally because I feel like I'm catching little bits and pieces. And it's almost like you, you put on a football game, guys, and you see the first quarter of it, and this could be your favorite team. Take my Arizona Cardinals, for example. And we're up 14 nothing, but I put it on later. And like, wait a second, we're down 28 to, to 20 now? What happened? So you missed the second quarter, and you're, you're, you don't have the you know, real feel for it. So that's kind of where I am with it. It's like watching a, you know, a team blow a big lead, 
in a game. I mean, you could be a fan of Oklahoma State when they had a 24-7 on TCU. You could be a fan of my Cardinals. You could be a fan of any of y'all's teams. And you know what I'm talking about. So that's where I am yeah. with it. Yeah, being a Ravens fan, uh, I get worried when we're oh, – once we go up double digits, I, that's when I get scared. I'm like, oh, no, our only weakness is a double-digit lead. Quarter, but, but the one thing you have on your side is you've got Justin Tucker, and he's the best kicker in the sport. So if it comes down to his foot, you're more times than not going to be in good shape. The problem is it doesn't always come down to his foot. Yeah, that's true. But you mentioned you're a Cardinals fan. I'm curious. There was a lot in the offseason made about the contract and, you know, the watching enough – watching X amount of film – in the contract, and then that kind of blew up, and so the Cardinals took out it, took it out because of the PR. And now folks are like seeing, hey, Kyler Murray's not as good this year. Like, what's going on? And maybe, maybe there was a reason that was in the contract, and now that's coming back up. Do you? I've heard a lot of sports personalities talk about this. I thought it was kind of odd that the Cardinals felt the need to put it in, and then once the news broke, then they kind of got public pressured out. I was like, well, you put that in for a reason. It's not. You knew what you were doing. Why did you feel – why did you succumb to the public pressure and now we're seeing kind of maybe they should have stuck to their guns? Listen, there's enough blame to go around with that organization right now. The management should get the top blame. Yeah. And one of their top blames should be for drafting him and for picking the coach they did who's a college coach needs to go back to college coaching. Someone made the analogy <laughs> recently about Mike McDaniel for the Dolphins. He's, he's, he's unorthodox. He's quirky, which is Kingsbury. Well, the difference was McDaniel was an assistant coach for years in San Francisco with the tradition, with, a, you know – program that basically knew what it was doing kingsbury came straight from college i didn't like the hire we win a game on a sunday night against seattle a buddy of mine says oh you're what a great win i'm like kingsbury did five dumb things this game we're lucky as heck to win this game and he does it every week whether they win or lose i don't love him there i thought Kyler murray was a terrific athlete probably should be playing baseball in some respects but he doesn't have the the best of iqs and feel for the game I was as mad after a loss as I was any loss in the last, even more than the Super Bowl loss to Pittsburgh. I was glad we were there in a lot of respects when he didn't slide and know the, the proper time and score situation against the Eagles. How many games we watch in high school and college athletes nowadays, guys, uh, Joe and Leland, where they don't know time and score? You're a pro athlete. You're in the NFL. You're playing the best team in football. You have to know time and score. That's on coaches. That's on players. You're getting paid. You know, a teenage kid playing down the street at, you know, Turner Ashby or something, we give them a break. They're not getting money, okay? But you're playing for the Arizona Cardinals. You have to know time and score in the fourth quarter. And they've had some very funky drafts. They've had some decent drafts. Um, and and I just don't like where we're going. We need to bring back Kurt Warner and Larry Fitzgerald. Make one the <laughs> owner, make one the coach, and it's going to be better because we haven't been relevant in a buttoned-up, well-run franchise since those two put us – on the path to you the want Super Bowl. Rod Tidwell too? Is that who you want? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I, I definitely want Warner and Fitzgerald to have some state <laughs> input because the rest of it right now is just it's terrible. We had one good win all year, which was on a Thursday night against the Saints. And thank goodness we won that game. I was able to watch that one. But other than that, it's been a been a disastrous year. And I don't see a lot of hope because I, I think Kyler's got limitations. He's a little bit like Lamar Jackson, but at least Lamar Jackson gives you a chance in these big games. Kyler I don't feel like in these big games, I don't trust him at all. And I trust Harbaugh a lot more than I trust Kingsbury. And they have Justin Tucker. We have nothing near it. So there you go. <laughs> hey, those the, the Jerry Maguire Cardinals beat the Cowboys on Monday Night Football. That's all that matters. But we so did I, beat the I Cowboys. Think that's the roots we need to go back to. We're not afraid of Dallas. We've actually done pretty well against them lately. <laughs> I mean, once we got out of the NFC East, yeah. uh, when we joined the NFC West, which was once the best division of football, it's not anymore. And the East is having a good year. 
Uh, we were in great shape, but no, it's it's been downhill. And I think they've got rid of some coaches too quickly. I thought Ken Wisenhut did a good job. They had some issues with penalties. And that's for a guy. That's why. That's why you like Bruce him. Arians. Obviously, we we'll see what he does when he leaves Arizona. He goes yeah. with Tom Brady in the Bucks. That was a bad. Yeah. Um, Another former Pittsburgh guy. You guys know how to hire him. Yeah, we just we've not gotten the right guys <laughs> to stay, uh, and they've they've made some poor decisions management wise. I'd be better with the team they have. A veteran quarterback, Kyler's talented. Let him go somewhere else and build that way because it worked with Kurt Warner. I mean, Matt Leinart wasn't getting it done. They brought in they brought in the grizzled gray beard, the guy who was stocking shelves, and went to the Super Bowl. And if it was for Aaron Francisco taking the worst angle in a Super Bowl for a tackle, they would have put a <laughs> ring on Fitzgerald's finger and they would have got Kurt in second, and that would have made the movie even better. That I watched half of it on the plane before our plane service didn't let me watch the second half of that great movie that Warner was in, which, well, actually, it's a movie about Warner. So there you go. I got to watch the second half of that movie. That's on my bucket list to do, too. Watch the second half of that movie along with my long orders. Hold up. I'm good to go. You're watching it all out of order. I love all it. out of order. I, listen, I'm on the plane coming back from Cincinnati, guys, and the thing literally stops. And I'm like, what happened to my movie on the plane? So I got to watch the second half of the movie. Right when he was getting out of the uh, arena, right before Dick Vermeil showed up in the movie, whoever uh, Dennis Quaid played Dick Vermeil. Yeah. I gotta watch the rest of that movie at some point. <laughs> I some spoil. I got some spoilers for you if you want them. Oh, you do. Well, don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, thank you again, Matt, for coming on. We enjoy talking high school sports and uh, and Law and Order and cardinals football and whatever with you it's it's always great to have you on and uh, thanks again for taking time out of your insanely busy schedule to entertain us and our audience anytime guys it's always a pleasure and if you get bored and want to talk some uh more sports be it uh, law and order or the cardinals i'm here anytime so hit me up <laughs> all right again thanks to matt hadfield for joining us um I hope you guys enjoy it because I know we can talk everything with him, man. I mean, he he can talk college, everything. I hope our audience enjoys it because I know you and I do, and we just both have just the utmost respect for him, not only taking the time to talk to us, but just sharing his wealth of knowledge on high school, college, everything. Um, And again, if you don't follow him, He's a great, great person to be in touch with in in terms of high school sports coverage on Virginia Preps. Uh, he does a lot on uh, Facebook as well and uh, is just so, so good at it. At, at Hatfield Sports on Twitter. Again, that's at Hatfield Sports. You can follow him on there. Just a great Twitter follow and I'll keep you up to date on everything going on in, in the state of Virginia, not just in this area, but all over the state and all the classifications. So, if you're just a guy who likes high school football or a gal who likes high school football and or college football and you're like, I want to know where that kid, where the best kids in Virginia are going to go. Are they going to go to my school that I root for? That's the guy to follow because he'll tell you all about it. Um, and he's so good at, yeah. at doing all that. But speaking of college football, Leland, let's talk some conference championships. We said last week the top four that we had going into conference championship week was the top four we wanted. Well, thanks a lot, USC. You started out like a house of fire, and then Utah happened. I don't know what it is. Maybe that's the big secret in USC leaving the Pac-12 is because they know they can't beat Utah. Um, (laughs) But, man, this team just can't get it done. Yeah, I I mean, I wanted that top four because it kept it simple. And TCU lost on Saturday afternoon, too, to 
it, uh, make it interesting. Now they're still in and and all that, but somehow they know, didn't drop yeah. in the rankings, which was interesting. I just <laughs> didn't like didn't like testing that four because it just brought Alabama a little bit closer to getting in. And I don't really like Ohio State getting in as they do at number four. Um, but it's what we got. I'm glad Alabama's not in. That's kind of the win of the weekend is that Alabama's still not in. Doesn't matter what Saban comes on and what weird reasonings he has for them deserving to be in, like that they would be favored against TCU. Yeah, you were favored against Tennessee and you're favored against LSU too, and you didn't win those games. So, and, and, and you know what? I'm not even arguing. You probably would be favored. I'd probably bet if, if you weren't, I'd probably bet on you. But it's you, you lose two games, you're out. You just don't get in. And the here's playoff, the thing for that, right? Because I know ahead of you. I know there's a lot of people saying, oh, you know, their losses are by a combined, you know, three points or whatever. And I'm like, or five points or whatever it is. And I'm like, I hear you, but they also had that game against Texas that if they don't knock out the starting quarterback, they lose. They had that game against Texas A&M that if Jimbo Fisher doesn't run the worst design two-point conversion, they lose. Yeah. They probably could have lost. Uh, what was the other game they were at? Oh, the Ole Miss game was tight. Like, tight-ish. But yeah. uh, there were other games that Alabama could have lost. And, yeah, I, and just, I just... I'm, I'm glad they're out. I So for all the, you know, well, you know, if this ball bounced this way, I'm like, okay, well, if it bounced the other way in the other game, they lose that game too. So... Uh, yeah, I, I don't have a problem with Alabama being left out. I also wish USC could have just won and left Ohio State yeah. out, but we can't have nice things. So it's going to be Georgia versus Ohio State in one semifinal, and then TCU will play Michigan in another semifinal because we couldn't have Ohio State be number three because then they'd have to play Michigan. Yeah, and I I'm I've heard people grumble of like why I don't mind they don't they do that all the time with the SEC teams when there's two of them in there they don't match them up in that first game I'm fine it's whatever I just glad Alabama's out is basically what we got I don't think Ohio State's beating Georgia I I hope not uh I just don't trust Kirby Smart but I don't know which one of those teams I'm picking to beat Kirby Smart so that's that's kind of where I'm at with this the Fiesta Bowl is the first game on New Year's Eve Peach Bowl is the second game uh so I, you know, and I guess that's get... brands. I, I think that's a branding decision because I actually think the TCU Michigan game will be the better game. They always put the one seed in the later game. It seems like, cause that's always like the Alabama and now is the Georgia. I think, yeah, I think I plus think they have the Ohio that. state brand. It, so it's yeah. two huge brands playing each other. I get it. They're getting TCU and at four. That's, that's really the decision. <laughs> cause the other three brands are huge. Yeah. So. What are these three letters? I don't know. Just put them in yeah. four. just throw them in there so we'll talk a lot about bowl games next week uh as uh, we still have a minute before those get started not not two minutes but a but a minute but i did want to take a second here today and everybody talks about the 12 team playoff i also wanted to touch on the 16 team playoff that has one time was a big debate between us you and i had a quick phone conversation the other day ahead of the rankings coming out Mm mm-hmm no, we were talking about the conference championship games uh, after we got done with the with the high school game. Mm-hmm. And I was kind of made the point of like, yeah, none of this matters. And it's, it's never going to matter when they go to the 12-team playoffs. But mm-hmm. I had kind of forgotten. And I think I, you know, thought of it as we were talking. And, and you were hitting on it, too, is actually 
when you have this 12-team playoff get set in, and, and we did get the official news that'll start in 24 because the Rose Bowl that rules everything allows for that. Uh, so we'll get it a little bit sooner than we thought we would. But if you have to win your conference to get one of those top four seeds that come with a bye. So those conference championship games are going to be major. And I know the ACC's shifting to the two top-ranked teams instead mm-hmm. of having the Coastal and the Atlantic. I, th- I believe the Big 12 already has it that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, SEC, I think, is going to hold solid, and, 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 it, and it works because um, they're going to get you know three or four teams. Big in 10 every will year do the same. Yep. Um, but that makes those conference championship games actually mean more here in the next couple of years. So I, I do like it for that sake. Uh, if we are ha- for the 12-team playoff, if it existed, taking the rankings that they put out there, putting the top four conference champions in those slots, you'd have Georgia number one, who would wait to face the winner of Tennessee, Kansas State. You'd have number four, Utah. They'd get a bye because they won the Pac-12, and they'd be the fourth highest conference champion. They'd be waiting on a TCU-Tulane winner. That'd be you'd have um, Go ahead. That'd be exciting. You'd have number three, Clemson. Mm-hmm. Clemson would be getting a bye, and they'd be waiting on the Ohio State-Penn State winner, which Ohio State would roll Clemson, so that would be what we'd all be waiting for. And then you'd have number two, Michigan, as they are, but they'd be waiting on Alabama-USC game and the winner from that. So produces some interesting games there. The 12-team playoff would be – Three SEC teams, three Big Ten teams, two Pac-12, two Big 12, and then one ACC and one ACC. So I I look forward to that because <laughs> I'll watch those games. Now, <clears throat> excuse me, I will say we get some similar type matchups coming up in these bowl games. It's just the those bowl games now will then, whoever wins them, will lead into the next round. So it'll kind of have that carry-on interest, but – I I think the four we have this year is right. It's what I it's close to what I wanted here as we came down the stretch. I think the true winner, the deserving winner out of these four makes sense to me. Once you start playing with this bracket in these future years, that top four is not going to always produce the winner. Clemson and Utah ain't winning the national championship this year, and they'd be the three and four seeds. So that's what will keep things interesting in those couple rounds when you throw Alabama down to seventh. You throw Ohio State down to sixth. TCU, who's third in the current one, they'd be a fifth. Yeah, they'd get home games, but then they got to win a game and then go play on the road. It's going to make for interesting matchups. It will. Um, So the way I saw it set up is the first round games would be at the higher seed. Right, right before Christmas. Mm -hmm. And then after that, you're looking at New Year's Six Bowls for the quarterfinals right. and then the semifinals. And then there's going to be a neutral whatever, which, and which the national championship game got pushed back like two weeks for no good reason. I'm still waiting on an explanation that makes sense for that. I hear you. I thought that was a bad idea too. Um, personally, I'd like to see those teams that get a buy get to host a game too, but that's whatever. Uh, they I'll, do host a game. Oh, it's at the, the neutral. I gotcha. I gotcha. Yeah. yeah. The top four. Well, I'd like to see them. But it's whatever. I'll watch the games no matter what. So, yeah, those bowl games are going to give up those games. I also, in an effort, in an effort to make the conference championships matter more, that fifth and sixth highest rated conference champion, I would like to be. I would like to see be the five and six seed. 
And then the at-large teams are seeded, however, ranked by the committee after that. That way, your conference championships still do matter. And for the majority of those at-large teams, they're going to have to go on the road versus half the at-large teams will get home games and some conference champions will be on the road. Well, you're going to see TCU in that game, like, not only want to beat Kansas State in that, they want to beat them by 40 to to jump uh, Utah or something like that. You know, that's that's going to start being the talk. You know, people running up the scores to leave the voters. That's in, fine. With a, I don't care. With an impression. Yeah, that's fine. I don't care about that. So to take us from that conversation, I did draw out what the 16 seed tournament would look like where all the conference champions. I know. I saw that you did that for me. I appreciate that. There's some matchups that I really don't care about. (laughs) Well, that's unfortunate because I think this is great. I think this is great. I don't need to see Toledo play Georgia. I don't need to see Troy and Utah. Okay. Whoa. Hold on. It's over here. I know. I see it. In my... Again, in a perfect world, again, so we make the conference championships matter. Well, never mind. That's not. I, I took won't. it. Yes, I you took did. it the realistic way. I know yeah, you Joe's, uh, you know, if you win your conference, you should get a home game. Or a higher seed at least. But yeah, that's fine. I don't mind. I, it. Used re- I used some realism in here. I used kind of the model that they already had with the 12 and then kind of just added four teams. But in basketball, also, they do it this way too. So it's fine. Yeah, I Toledo going to Georgia. going to let. UTSA have a home game before they let have uh, Alabama have a home game. So I, I, I use my brain here a little bit, <laughs> which is unfortunate because they probably deserve <laughs> it. Um, cause Alabama wouldn't win at UTSA. If there's one thing we know, Alabama sucks on the road. Um, but Toledo at Georgia, I guess my thing is if it's good enough for the regular season, I don't know why it's not good enough for a playoff game. I don't need to see it in December. Like, yeah, I, we do. I don't, I honestly, I don't watch Toledo, Georgia in September. I don't, I this is why I have six TVs set up so I can watch every other good game that's happening. But we should I don't see watch it. that match. I don't let them in the game. Them. Let them in the game. Um, let's see Troy play Utah. I don't need it. Let's see it. I don't. Who need is UTSA our fifteen? Clemson. Fresno State. Nothing good's going to come from UTSA playing Clemson. <laughs> UTSA might no, beat Clemson. Nothing good is going to come from that game. Clemson might lose. <laughs> Clemson might lose. That might be the game where the ACC is no longer a Power Five conference. And Fresno State, Michigan, like it's just it produces too many games that I don't care about. Like, Let me half see the it. Games that it produces, it. I don't care about. I don't need that. Tulane versus who's our five? TCU. Gosh, that's a great five twelve. That's an interesting game. I didn't. I didn't tear that one apart. But that's the top. That's the thing. That's why I like Penn State versus Ohio State. Penn State versus this Ohio why State. Do USC versus Bama? We Tennessee have the Ohio versus State K-State? versus Penn State in the 12 team. So we don't need 16 teams to have some of those matchups. We have those in the 12 team. And the 12-team playoff that I have conceded, okay, let's do it, and they're doing it, because I said so. That's how this works. I, I'm fine with the non-Power 5, top two lane. They get their shot. They're going to have it, and they have it in this 12-team. I just don't need to go down the list. I don't need Toledo. I don't need Fresno State. I really don't need UTSA. I it's just I, I it's not. Worth I think it. I think you're underrating UTSA. UTSA has been pretty good. 
Well, they play in a real bowl game. Who do they got? They I play uh they play Troy. <laughs> At least that's game. Honestly, I'd rather watch Troy UTSA than I would Clemson UTSA. It's gonna be a good game. I don't know. I just I'm glad we're not at a 16 team, 16 team playoff. I don't need to see every conference champion in a in a December game. I think you do. I already don't watch. I think I you already do. don't watch them. I and we've gone over this, so I'm not going to harp on it. But I think if you're going to have these conferences be FBS conferences, you should have them have a realistic path to the playoff. And if you keep saying the conf you want conference championships to matter, what better way than to make you say you have to win a conference championship to have a realistic shot at the playoff. And there's only two spots or six spots, depending on if you want to go to 12 or 16. um, You know, we ask basketball teams every, every year that you have to be, you know, darn good. And you have to win that conference. Like we make it hard on basketball teams to have a shot. They only get one bid for their conference. Like, I don't mind that it's hard for these college football teams where there's a whole lot less teams that, yeah, you have to be not only win your conference, but you also have to be one of the best of those teams down there. You have to be undefeated or close to undefeated to really have your shot with the big boys. I'm, I'm, I am perfectly fine with that because I just don't know because where you're wrong is we tell them if you do win your conference, you're in. That's yeah, what we tell them. I, I used a lot of words there because there's like 300 college basketball teams and you have to beat out all these other teams to win your conference to do that, to get your little shot. In football, there's 110 teams or 114, whatever it is now. And so, like, it, you have to be one of the best of the non-Power 5 to get your You're shot. You're not going to like I'm your math. with that. I don't need Fresno State. I don't we need have them. a higher percentage of basketball teams in the tournament than we do football teams. So you're not going to like your math there. I, I'm not going for linear math correction there. I'm just saying it's hard for them. It's hard for Radford to get in the in the tournament. It's hard for them to do that. So it's going to be It would hard be hard for, for UTSA. It's hard for Tulane. It's hard for Fresno State. It's hard for Toledo. If they're undefeated, they're going to have their shot. Yeah, but only one of them will have their shot. Yeah. I I just wonder how many years we have three undefeated non-power fives it just doesn't i like we look back and it doesn't happen how many years just, do we let a joker big 12 team in how many years do we let a joker well, ACC team it because in? oklahoma isn't, isn't one of them if we're doing that math i don't want clemson in i'd rather have troy in troy could probably beat clemson on a neutral field Tulane could beat clemson on a neutral field get clemson out of the playoff clemson sucks I don't want to take away our only hope. <laughs> and you know what, Leland? Issue. You know what? That's my that's my thing. These conferences want that hope too. They want to be able to have a crappy year like the ACC and still have a shot at the TCU playoff. You did do it. TCU did go go play. With there's the only so the okay, but Leland, there's spot. only so many spots in those conferences. That's what they said twenty years ago too, and somehow TCU's here. Yeah, but they're about to be in a conference that doesn't matter because the SEC and the Big Ten are about to suck them up. Here's my thing, Leland. If Virginia Tech is the team left out in the cold, your tune's going to change. That's why I don't want you to get rid of the ACC spot. (laughs) You're a clown. You're a clown and a joker. So that's that's the end of it. You're you're just you're a homer on it because Virginia Tech. It doesn't affect Virginia Tech. You don't care. If it affected Virginia Tech, your tune would change. I know. I don't care about watching Fresno State do anything this month. 
That's fine. And when Virginia Tech is the team that doesn't get invited to the SEC or the Big Ten, and then those are the only two teams that are allowed to play for a playoff or a or a playoff or a national championship, then you're going to say, hey, we went undefeated. We we only lost one or two games yeah, in the we ACC. We'll be involved. Why, why don't we get a shot at the playoff? And they're going to say, well, because you're not part of the 20-team SEC or the 20-team Big Ten, and those are the only conferences we care about. We don't want to see Virginia Tech. We don't care to see Virginia Tech in December. Hmm. The good thing is they're never going to do it your way where all those teams get the chance. So we'll never, have to, we'll never find out. Yeah, and then when Virginia Tech's not in the 20-team SEC or the 20-team Big Ten, we'll never have to worry about Virginia Tech. God, it feels so far away anyway. Um, everybody went to the portal. I know we touched on this with, uh, with Hatfield there. We put 11, t- 11 players in the portal today, Virginia Tech did, and you have to love that because this is what you asked for. You wanted everybody gone, and I know you're happy. I'm not going to say – I'm not saying this in a way that you're going to – I'm expecting to say any different. You're loving this. I mean, we're losing uh, the second-string quarterback we had because he mm-hmm. wasn't good enough to play this year. He might as well go. We need yep. a new quarterback room. That solidifies that. Mm-hmm. So you're getting what you want. Everybody's leaving. Yeah, I think I saw something where um... – let me look and see the schools that had the most. We're we're number one. Yeah, we won something. We had eleven. Number one. It's a better sign to have this after year one of Brent Pry than mm-hmm. it was year four of Justin Fuente. That's for darn sure. Tech. Like when these guys, when it's an established culture, you know that Fuente's always talking about with his grit, and you come in there and you have to get and you want to get out of there as fast as you can. That's a worse look than these guys that were already here. Brett Pry comes in with his new ways and this and that, and you're like, oh, I don't fit here anymore. That's a fine. Like We take this now. Now, in three years, we're not going to want to see this. But right now, this is, this is a good thing. I was going to say, Virginia Tech's number one. Texas A&M is number two in players left with 10. Clemson is number three with nine. I've already said that Tulane's better than they are, and heck, UTSA is probably better than they are, so Clemson sucks. Ole Miss sucks. They're nine. Wazoo has nine. They suck. These aren't good teams. Yeah, no, we're not good. I want to get good, and I think that's going to take better players. I kept saying the talent level looked mismatched this year, so I'm with you. I mean, I, I laughed at you when you say you want them all gone because it's just not, you know, all all 80 aren't leaving, and, and still even on all 80 aren't leaving, but 11 is a huge chunk of that team to be going. There were some starters day. leaving too. Like there were some players that were yeah. starters leaving and that's fine. A lot of them were on the offensive side of the ball. And I was like, okay. Yeah. Congrats. But on other your... teams are losing that too. Like, like we talked about North Carolina's losing a starting corner. Like, yeah, like I said, it could be, yeah, it could be worse. We could be losing players yeah. who are actually good. Like, and that Penn state is losing a backup quarterback that apparently Pry had something to do with his recruiting. So I'd love that. He's gotta be he's better. Awesome or not, or... He's gotta be better than what we got. Um, yeah. but it's the same mold again, like I said last week, we're not losing any all conference players cause we didn't have any. So who cares? Like these guys aren't good enough to be at Virginia tech. If they want to leave. Cool. See you later. As Dion told his kids at Colorado, you should all enter the portal. Cause I'm bringing my own luggage. <laughs> like that, I laughed out loud. That's great. We'll talk about Dion here in a second. <laughs> Let's jump to basketball first before we jump into all that stuff. Uh, basketball, you know, the state of Virginia in the ACC really disappointed in football this year uh, on the field mm-hmm. for the you know the majority of the season. We weren't destined for uh, for good things. 
the basketball is making up for it. Virginia Tech eight and one just beat UNC. Didn't even have to make all their shots to do it, and they right. and they beat them. UVA's ranked number three. They beat Florida State, but you know they're they've been winning nonstop. Uh, awesome on the girls' side. Virginia Tech's number seven. They're eight and zero. UVA's their women seven and zero, and so just we're representing at least on in something, and it's called basketball. Yeah, and JMU's men's team is. You know, played three non-D1 opponents, but they're seven and two. Um, so there's that, and they'll play UVA. Yeah, they just made all their shots against UNC. They yeah, and they'd be on, yeah, they'd be eight and one if they had made all their shots against UNC. Yeah. Um, and UNC didn't make any more shots than they did because obviously that's not. It didn't have Baycott. Didn't also have the Player of the Year. Sorry. Right. That that would that. mess up yeah. Shane's argument. So, um, but anyway, they play at UVA. That's a real test for them, and and we'll see. UNC was a real test. They didn't pass. They lost by 16, um, even though they would have won if, you know, Aslan was a talking lion in real life and not just in a fictional book by C.S. Lewis. But um, now they'll play UVA, and this is an even bigger test. And, I, look, I'm going to the game. I, I hope JMU wins, but I don't have high hopes for it. Yeah, I mean, they're number three, and, and this is the UVA team that even last week I was saying, hey, this is the formula that UVA does that I actually respect a bit more. They have that good defense. I noticed you tried to jinx them with that. With the ability to score. Yeah, they not nearly nearly jinxed them good last week, and they almost lost on that night. But for real, though, they do have the better formula right now because they're pairing the great defense with scoring. Uh, it's going to be hard for JMU to handle. Um, Virginia Tech. They're in the middle of this tough run, which I think a week ago I said, hey, these next three are real tough. Well, they won the first two, and now they have Dayton on Wednesday. Mm-hmm. But I also forgot they had Oklahoma State on the back end of that, and that's on a Sunday afternoon at 2 o'clock. So this is a tough stretch here for Virginia Tech, and they've already started off real good with it. So I, I'm i excited about basketball season, as I have been. And uh, last year where we kind of started a little slow and then kind of kicked it into gear midway through the ACC season and then in the tournament – I like that we're having success early. We're probably a week away from being ranked. Hopefully, we beat, if we beat Dayton this week, we'll be ranked. Um, but we're in that area. We're in that 25 to 30 area. I would like to see us somewhere in the teens. But, you know, hopefully we can win to deserve that. Sure. Uh, on the women's side, you know, it's the highest ranking Virginia Tech women's have ever had yeah. at number seven. Um, beat Tennessee. Beat Tennessee. Now, Tennessee's not the same Tennessee that they were. Sure before but it's still a huge win for virginia tech and it helps and they won there which means yes um and uva is getting votes um you know i saw a uva fan uh with a really logical take on the non-conference schedule hasn't been that great so uva though if they keep winning in conference play they'll get in the top 25 and that's kind of how you have to look at it And virginia tech is the same way in men's basketball i think they've had a very good year they're not ranked yet but if they keep winning they'll it'll take care of itself Um, JMU women have had a couple of yiker first halves against VCU and Maryland Eastern shore, but they end up winning both of those games. They're six and two Sean O'Regan's doing a pretty good job there this year. Um, but kind of like, uh, I think the men's basketball team will, we'll just kind of see what happens when they get into conference play. Cause it's kind of hard to get a read on these teams right now. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm, I'm excited that we have, good ACC and, and with between UVA and tech and that rivalry that, you know, unlike the football game was going to be, this game will actually mean something and it'll get some hype. I'm excited about it when, when they play, I think the first one's in February. 
No, it's in early January, and then they play again in mid-February. So the, both of those will be big. And I'll say this, too. Uh, the the JMU-VCU women's game was a was a good game. It uh, ended up being a two-point game for JMU. It was highly competitive all the way uh, through the second half. And it just kind of reminded me, like, I wish we had the more of these games. I wish we had more in-state, non-conference games. Um, or maybe even one of these, you know, in-season tournaments could be just – the top 12 Virginia in-state teams from the year before get invited to play oh, in Richmond yeah. or Charlottesville or wherever um, to play in a tournament and um, to play that out. Cause I think that'd be exciting. I mean, you got a lot of good basketball. If JMU can even like a showcase you, tournament, even where you just get the different matchups every year, like that'd right. be fine. Just to see sure. some comparison, you know, it doesn't have to be a, you know, 12 team knock it down three game playoff. It could just be, you know, UVA versus JMU, like they're gonna, and Tech versus VCU, like that kind of stuff, and do it men's and women's. That'd be awesome. Yeah, I think it would be great. I, I think um, we've got a lot of good basketball in this state, whether it's JMU, who's starting to get better on the men's side. Um, Virginia Tech on the women's side has been great. VCU men's and women's basketball has, you know, had a lot of success recently. Then you get your William & Mary's, your ODU's, um, and you just get some, and some good matchups. I mean, a lot of these schools used to be in the same conferences, so yeah. Uh, you get to rekindle those old rivalries. Like I didn't realize that game against VCU and JMU um, until I started doing prep. That's the first time they'd played since VCU left the CAA. Wow. Which I, wow. I was amazed. I was like, man, that's a long time. Um, Cause I saw the year and I was like, that's kind of when I graduated. That's when <laughs> VCU left. Like, yeah. um, so I, I don't know if Mason and JMU women have played since then, but yeah, that's another team too, Mason, that could, you know, you get involved in these games and it, it would be exciting. I, I'd just like to see more of that in, in terms of in-state matchups. I think that'd be a, a cool thing. It would be. All right, let's get to the D block. Uh, I'll start off with some non-sports real quick because I think the rest of the D block will end up sports focused. But I watched a nice uh, family movie with the kids on netflix it's called slumberland you've probably seen some commercials for it and i know right around the thanksgiving parade and stuff there was a lot for it uh they have the main character is marlo barkley i'm sure she's new to the scene but she's a great little actress uh but then paired with her you have jason momoa who's aquaman uh kyle chandler who is coach taylor from friday night lights and then you have Chris O'Dowd. He was uh, in Bridesmaid, and he's done some funny stuff. I, I think he was in, like, the IT crowd, I think. Um, it's a good movie. Family movie. Visually very cool. This is one of those Netflix dumped a bunch of money into it. thing, obviously, with the, getting the good actors there, uh, but also in the visual effects. And it was it was really well done. And uh, I think worth worth the time as a family movie. Now, does Joe on a Friday night, you know, pop this on? Probably not. That's not necessarily what I'm aiming for. But if you're in a situation, you're at a family event and kids around or something, or, you know, just a good movie that everybody can enjoy, uh, I'm not against it. And it was kind of different storyline. And of, of course, it starts with tragedy, uh, as all the kids' movies do these days. Um, but uh, it was it was good, though. I liked it. And uh worth worth my time i kept my attention um so i liked it well as everybody knows the problem with frozen was it didn't end with tragedy we brought that stupid snowman back to life um well it had started with enough tragedy tragedy and it always kill the parents it just like it makes it makes you as a parent feel that you could just 
you know, you're replaceable. You're replaceable, but the talking snowman's not. That's where Disney draws the line is the talking snowman. It's summer. Teach the kids a lesson. Teach the kids a lesson. The summer comes, Olaf dies. Why? Because Olaf isn't worth saving. Slumberland. I liked it better than Frozen. How's that? Patrick Hyde probably just cut the podcast off. But What a low bar. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I've seen the commercials, and I'm just kind of like, mm, I, don't I, know. I honestly didn't think I'd really like it. Um, better than the commercials. I, I thought so. I, I, okay. I, I thought more of it after watching it than I did going into it. I've got a lot to watch. I just finished Andor, so to, I've got to a lot to catch up on. Fair, I didn't know Coach Taylor was in it until like the opening credits, and I see Kyle Chandler's name, and I'm all like, "Oh, Coach is in this!" So I, I wasn't. Maybe that was hurting my pregame. I don't really care for him, so that's not going to move the needle either way. You don't like Coach Taylor? I like Coach Taylor. I think Coach Taylor sucks. Um, <laughs> he won the state championship at Texas. How could you say that? Mm-hmm. Uh, and he kept Ronnie Britton in line. And that daughter of his on that show, she was hard to deal with. And he tells Saracen to <laughs> to go get in a car with his girlfriend, not knowing it's his daughter. <laughs> yeah, I. Yeah, I miss that show. I'm gonna. I, have to be I don't. That I don't. I am watching something else on Netflix, and I, I just. Yeah, it's not near the top of my list. I just finished Andor, which I thought was good. Um, yeah, I got. I have a couple episodes back. I'm still where I was last time we talked about it. Okay, so. well then I won't spoil it. But I, I just, if, yeah, I will say it's different. It's not nonstop action all the way through. Yeah. So if that's what you're looking for in your Star Wars, not going to be for you. If and you're, you're telling curious, other people that, because yep. I've been saying that about that, and I like it. Yep. If you're curious on like, oh, you know, what would be the storyline that led up to why the rebellion happens that's what this show's about so um i'd recommend it there there is going to be a season two it looks like um planned from the beginning yeah i'll tell you leland make sure you're watching that last episode all the way through because there's a little cut scene at the end so always good to know yep all right how'd we do it in soccer we lost uh we lost to the netherlands um our only goal was scored purely by accident because the striker is falling on his face and the ball happens to hit his heel and ricochet in somehow like a magic bullet um, off his heel and into the goal somehow. I just still don't know how the physics of that worked, but yeah, we were already down multiple goals anyway. It was that made it two to one, gave us some hope for about mm, four minutes. And then the Netherlands scored again to make it three one um, in the moment. I was mad and had a lot of things to say about a lot of people, but, <laughs> the next day, <laughs> the next day, I just kind of realized like we're not as good as the Netherlands. Plain and simple, we were outclassed a hundred percent in that match. When and I know there's a certain U.S. senator in Connecticut that tried to say we completed more passes, we had more possession, and we had more shots. We were the better team. That's they let not, us. That's not they let us really how like soccer people. works. That is spoken by a true idiot. Um, when it comes to soccer was all that was confirmed to me. I was like, look, I don't know how you are as a Senator. Cause I've never heard of you before, but just stick to that. Um, it's yes. All of those things are true that he said, 
Our passes, though, that we completed were non-contested passes. When we would try to put that cross into the box, it was to no one. It was to open grass or purely to a Dutch player. Um, We never found our guy. When the Dutch made their crosses, the ball ended up in the back of the net because they were aiming for another Dutch player. And this is part of like one of those things the morning after you're like, you see things clearer and you're like, yeah, um, I know those Dutch players because they play in Spain and England and the Bundesliga in Germany and France. Like they play in the best leagues in the world. And we have some guys who play in the best leagues in the world. And we have other guys who are reserves on the best leagues in the world. And then we have a lot of guys who play in the MLS. That's fine. But it's why we're never going to be the best team in the world. It's why, it's, not, it's why we're not there. It's why the Netherlands can beat us 3-1. to one. Virgil van Dijk, when we fell behind early, I was like, ball game. That's it. Um, because I knew... Virgil van Dyke, I've seen him play. I, I watch him play every week at Liverpool. He is a fantastic leader at the back line, and he's an amazing defender. It's incredibly difficult to score on him. It was incredibly difficult to score on the Netherlands, partially because yeah. we're not clinical enough in the back half, or in the fr- in the fin- in the excuse me in the forward positions. Part of it's because they're really good. Um, we had our chance I, early. Pulisic didn't score the wide open shot. And when he didn't score, the announcer said, you're not going to get an opportunity better than that. And they weren't wrong. We needed to score there. And we didn't. And that was the match right there. The match was lost in the first two minutes. Less educated soccer point of view. It looked like they were just letting it, you know, it's like in the backyard with the, with the little kids, you just let them run around and do all that they want so that they're having fun. But if it really counts, you just go get the ball and then score. That's what it looked like to me. Yeah, and, and we made the same it mistakes over, me, and over. I needed to not watch the second half of that game because I had places to be, and it made it real easy when they're down 2 nothing. Now, the good news is Gio Reyna got a lot of playing time. He played the second half. Wouldn't you know, he was one of the better players on our team. Kind of would have been interesting to see if he had played in that England game. Maybe we could have won. Maybe we wouldn't have had to play the Netherlands. Maybe we could have played Senegal, who would have been much easier than the Netherlands. Now, we could have just as easily lost to Senegal, who had a pretty good tournament, but... We wouldn't have lost three to one, um, but it is what it is. Uh, we're out. The Netherlands is through. The Netherlands will play Argentina. That should be a pretty good match, um, and I think that's going to be an an epic match because I think Netherlands is excellent defensively. Um, they do have. They're getting better offensively as the tournament goes along. Argentina is not the best in the back, so I could see that game going down to the wire, maybe even penalty kicks like we saw from Japan-Croatia today. Um, That being said, uh, the other thing I'll say, Brazil, dear Lord, um, that was ugly today, what they did to Korea. But uh, I don't want to overestimate my athletic ability. I feel like I do a good job not doing that. That being said, I think if I had five penalty shots, I could score three. And Japan not scoring on three was amazing. I was like, it. you almost have to try to not score on three penalties. 
I don't want to dive deep into your ability in that position, but it was surprising. I, to be fair though, and this is going to take us a different direction. I, after the first two games, once it hit Thanksgiving weekend, so like we got through the England game on Black Friday, I have not really watched as near as much of this soccer that I was watching before. I was watching a lot early that Thanksgiving week. Uh, even while I was working, it wasn't a, a off work situation. I was still working. I just had awareness. It's just too much competing. They got to get this thing back in June or July or whatever they normally do it. Cause it's just, there's too much going on. I don't have enough hours to spend on watching these soccer games. Well, in 2026, it will. <sighs> It'll be I just don't like it. I want to like it. I want to watch it. I'm, and I'm looking forward to the women playing this this summer because of that. Mm-hmm. Because I want to get back to normal where it's like I'm uh, okay. Well, maybe some baseball games I'm interested in, but all this foot like I got to spend my time watching my football. <laughs> no, you don't have to because the semifinals are gonna be blood, so you don't have to worry about it. Um, well, this will be over by then. I'm saying right now, this last these last this last week, I've watched way less, way less. You don't have I to watch these these watch NFL games. Game. Don't matter. You don't have to watch them. Um, but. Yeah, the you say you want to watch the women's tournament, but that's going to be on at some heinous hours. I, I have a plan. I have a plan of attack. I'm going to DVR it and wake it when I, watch it when I wake up. That's my plan. That's and I'll probably plan. have a vacation week somewhere in there too, so it'll really help there. That's a pretty good plan. Um, so I touched on Dion and his words to Colorado and his players, which made me laugh out loud, and I loved it. I love that. And he's not wrong. Colorado was one of the worst teams in the entire country in FBS. So him telling all those players to hit the portal just made me laugh. That's another place. I, I'm only half kidding when I say everyone at Virginia Tech should transfer out. Colorado is another place on that list. They're just bad. I am just not a big Dion guy, and I never have been. I Even when I was a young kid and he was kind of – I mean, he was at his peak. He was at his prime. Uh, I just wasn't as big on Dion as others and uh, respect that he was a great player and a shutdown corner and could do great things. I'm, I'm not saying he was bad. I just, it just a lot goes with Dion that I just haven't bought into. And so seeing it and hearing it in a locker room at a college, and it, it is different than what you're used to seeing. Um, I just not on board quite yet. I don't think I'm going to get on board. But I do wonder, he just won a SWAC championship or whatever, whatever it was where he was at. Does he win a Pac-12 title? Now, you can say all you want. Well, has he stayed there long enough? I'll, I'll throw, I'm, I'm asking you a yes or no question. Does he win a Pac-12 title at Colorado? Is Oregon in the Pac-12 in this scenario? Um, you know what? I was still having USC in the Pac-12 in this scenario. Um, yeah, it, because Oregon doesn't hasn't announced that they're leaving yet. So because it looks so, not like so USC and UCLA are going away. You can factor that in. That's fine. Based on what we know now and plans that are in place, mm-hmm. does Dion win a Pac-12 title? I'd say if Oregon and Washington go, which there are rumors that they might, but they're it's not set yet. So it's you're not saying set. no if they say. If if they stay, less likely. If they go, absolutely. 
I say he doesn't. I say he doesn't get to that at Colorado. I think they have too far to climb. I don't know what Jacksonville State had Jackson to do. Jackson State. I, Jackson State. I don't know where they started and where they got. I don't know if they started from the bottom. Now they're here. Colorado's starting from the bottom. So I just think it's going to take too much. Now, when you have someone of the caliber of Deion Sanders recruiting, you're going to bring some top names in quicker, like he did at Jackson State. I just don't think it's going to be enough to get the job done at Colorado. But I also don't think he's going to be there 20 years. I mean, that's that's my that's my line. Is I don't think it would take 20 years. Um, if he gets if he gets some better, someone else is going to come calling. I mean, I assume he wants to be an NFL coach sometime. So I just I just don't think he gets to that spot there. And I and so when I'm saying that, I I don't think he'll have much to do with the college football playoff either. Like if he's not winning a conference out there and factoring into the conference championship for the Pac-12, I I I just. I just don't see this going magnificently for him. I think he'll have it it better, but he'll move on and get out of there. I don't think he'll get it done at Colorado. I think he will improve Colorado for sure. sure. I will say this. I thought Georgia Tech missed whiffed hard. I don't know why Georgia Tech didn't just say, come here. Colorado doesn't have the money to pay him. Georgia Tech could say the same thing and just get him in the door. Yeah, I think I think Georgia he Tech owned Atlanta in the early '90s. Why couldn't he own Atlanta now? I don't understand. I think why they he would have do done that. very well at Georgia Tech. I think he'll do okay at Colorado. I think. Um, I'm not saying year one Colorado's a bowl team, but no, no, heck no, they'll be better. I will say you better hope it wouldn't take him 20 years to win a conference championship, because while they are one of the worst teams in FBS. Virginia Tech's only a few steps ahead of that. Virginia Tech yeah, is no, really, really bad. Yeah. Any chance you have to kick me about Virginia Tech, that's fine. I thought I, I feel like you're a fan of them too. <laughs> I am. I'm but just I, saying. My like, biggest issue with that timeline is that I just like I think he's there maybe a year or two more than he was just at Jackson State. How many how many years was he there? Three, four? I don't know. I think he's five, six years at Colorado. I don't know. I, why is Georgia three? Tech not hiring him? I don't know. I don't know if some of these FBS teams want him, which is I crazy. I think he was going to the NFL. I, I don't know if Colorado after Colorado. I don't know if the NFL, NFL Arizona, wants him. Like, uh, what's his face? Uh, I don't know if the like, NFL would hire him. He's going to be on. I think he was going to want to go to the SEC next. I think he'll go to Ole Miss where Lane Kiffin leaves or something like that. Like, he'll go to an SEC school that has bigger clout to try to – you know, step up and step up. I think if he goes to an SEC school, it'll be like a Missouri or an Arkansas or something of that nature. I don't think it'll be maybe a Kentucky. I don't think it'll be somebody like top notch. I don't think it's going to, I think like when you say Auburn or what was the one you threw out? Ole Miss. I said Ole Miss. Cause I assume Lane Kiffin will leave at some point soon. Yeah, it's getting to be that time, isn't it? Um, yeah. I mean, it's nighttime right now. It's nearly midnight. Isn't that the time he usually goes? That was laughable that um, he turns down the Auburn job and then gets a raise at Ole Miss. That, they weren't good. That was a bad team. No, they lost like the last four, didn't they? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Not too many places you can lose and get a raise like that. Um I, guess I, I, I mean, I, I, too, I, I think Dion improves them, but I just don't think he gets them like 
what you would call the top. Maybe. I don't know. The pack. I don't think the pack 12 has got a lot left. Yeah. I wouldn't think about USC and UCLA leaving, but I, you know, that'll help him to not have to. And again, USC Oregon and Washington are. When he, when he goes to recruit California and those two schools are getting the heck there out. There is smoke like, there. Yeah. There's smoke there with Oregon and Washington. Yeah, but there, I mean, I was just going on things that have been stated. Sure, but I, I'm saying if like if that smoke turns into a fire and they leave, who you got left? Yeah, that's a lot easier. But um, Scott Satterfield going to Cincinnati is kind Bizarre. of a that's kind of a blow to Louisville. I, he was on the hot seat in September. He was. He was. He was on the verge of being fired if they lost to UVA. He wins that game. He gets to keep his job, and then he just keeps winning. (laughs) And now that he's gone, like folks at Louisville are like good, and I'm like, that's one where I'm like, who do you think you are? When Cincinnati came, like was open, like someone said, Cincy and Dion. I thought that's where he was going. Man, I thought he was going to go to the city school. Maybe, yeah. I tell you what, if Dion does win in Colorado, good for him. I'm just not a big Dion guy. I don't know. It's going to take a lot for me to say good for him. I just, I just don't like him. Um, like that well, the way he's with that reporter in that one viral clip, and he was like, "Why are you talking like that?" Like I just don't, I just don't like what all he brings. Him, sure. The coach Prime and all that, like. I would rather have Dion coach my team than Urban Meyer or Hugh Freeze. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're stirring the bottom of the pot for me on saying those names. Like, ugh, yeah. I'll I don't s- want Hugh Freeze. Yeah, I'll say I that. Urban Meyer. I'll say that. Yeah, I I'll agree with that all day. Or but. Dion is not the worst person in FBS coaching. I just. Like you say, he comes in the locker room and tells him to get in the transfer portal. I don't like in the same breath, and he's like, "Hey, there's my son. He's the starting quarterback." Like, I just, I just do, you don't have to say, you don't have to say all that. You I can, dig it. Let him know. Let him know they're trash. That's my kind of guy. I think that'll do it for us on this week's episode of the Yak Sports Podcast. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Yak Sports Pod. That's Y A C Sports Pod. You can find us on Facebook the same way. Or you can email us, yaksportspod at gmail.com. Subscribe on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. Tell your friends so they don't miss another episode. Tell us what we got wrong. Is, I don't know, is Riverhead's going to lose? No. Other than that, I don't really know what we could have gotten wrong. I think we I think we crushed this one. I got called a joker and a oh, clown. So. That's true. Tell Leland why he is a joker and a clown, because he needs to hear it from more than just me. Leland is a joker and a clown. I'm going to call him a joker and a clown on Saturday when he tells me that George with if what George with can do to win the game on Saturday. So um, it won't be the last time I call him a joker and a clown. So make sure to join in. Tell him he's a joker and a clown on Twitter, too. He loves it. It's his favorite thing. I probably tell him on the ride down that he's a joker and a clown, honestly. 
Also, unrelated. Only if I I'm might... going backwards on 81 again. I was going to say, <laughs> unrelated, I might, uh, you know, let me know if you're going to be coming back from the game and able to pick me up after Leland drops me off to the side of 81. <laughs> <laughs> Until then, folks, <laughs> have a great week, and we hope you enjoyed this episode of the Yak Sports Podcast. You've been listening to Yak Sports, your Augusta County sports podcast.